1: We've been looking at over the last few weeks now, and we're getting close to the end of our series, the question of who needs Jesus. Who needs Jesus? And Paul, as he, in the first message which you looked at, he kind of gave us a an understanding of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and what Jesus did for us, and that salvation is there available to those who believe by faith. And then he moves on from there to describe several different groups of people who need Jesus Christ. And so like the first week after we looked at the nature of the gospel and why Jesus, we looked at the first group that he presents us, which is the my way or the highway crowd. That's that group of people that really don't want to know God. They've suppressed the knowledge of God in their mind and they've gone off and done their own thing. And he talks about why they are condemned and why they need Jesus. Last week then we looked at the prim and proper crowd, because you might be saying, well, I'm not that my way or highway crowd. I'm not in that group. I'm living a pretty good life. I'm doing the right things. And he showed us why that group of people is condemned, because they judge others around them, but they can't live up to the standards themselves. Today we're going to look at a third group, which I think we can all relate to here. It's a group that I call the frozen chosen. It's a group that's marked by their religious activity. It's a group of religious people that they think they're okay because they are religious. Now, as Paul describes this group, the religious people of his day were the Jews. And that's even true today, but I think it can also be true of us as a whole for those of us who call ourselves Christians as we look at the description of what he's looking at here. So what we're going to look at today is why the frozen chosen need Jesus. Now, you're going to have to ask yourself a question. Are you part of the frozen chosen? Because you might be saying, I'm not in the my way or the highway crowd. I'm sure not in the prim or proper group. But maybe you're in the frozen chosen. So I want you to notice with me what the Word of God says. Romans chapter 2, verse 17. We're going to go through verse 8 of chapter 3. Paul writes, Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know His will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and the truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another... Do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through your breaking the law? For the name of God is blaspheme among Gentiles because of you, as it is written, For the circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law, He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision that is of the heart, in the spirit, not in letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some do not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For how will God judge the world? And if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged of the sinner? Why not say, let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported and some affirm that we say their condemnation is just. We're going to see several different things here about this passage, about the frozen chosen. And you're going to need to ask yourself these things as to whether or not you are in this group. Because I'm going to be honest with you. Just like the my way or the highway crowd is condemned and needs Jesus, just like the prim and proper with his moral standard which he measures everybody by needs Jesus, the frozen chosen need Jesus too. And we're going to see why they're condemned. And really we're going to see three different aspects about their life that kind of show us their need for Jesus. The first thing we're going to see is is their hypocrisy. We're going to see that they're hypocrites. Let me ask you a question. What's the number one accusation that our community has about people who come to church. That they're what? Hypocrites. Listen, when we read this passage, you're going to see why they say it. So I want you to notice with me their hypocrisy. The first thing I want you to notice is we see in verse 17, he says this, Indeed, you are called a Jew. You know what? If we were to apply it to our modern life today, we could change that verse and say, Indeed, you are called a Christian. What's he saying here about their hypocrisy? They rested in their religious heritage. They rested in their religious heritage. In Paul's day, the Jews rested in the fact that they were born into a Jewish home. That they were the children of Abraham. Therefore, they were God's chosen people. They were heirs to God's promises. And that's what they rested in. I'm a Jew. I'm okay. For you and I today, it doesn't have to be that. It could be simply saying, I'm a Christian. I was born in a Christian home. I've gone to this church forever. I've been in and out of this church for a long time. And I'm just resting in my heritage. You see how hypocrisy can come in real easily? When the basis for you existing, when the basis for your Christianity has nothing to do with your faith, it has to do with what family you came from. It has to do with what church you go to. And a lot of people rest in that, don't they? A lot of people, their faith isn't their faith. Their faith is their grandma's faith. Or their mom and dad's faith. And that's the danger. That's the danger even that Lori and I have to realize, you know, here I am a pastor. It's a pastor's home. And I need to communicate to my children in such a way, and Lori and I have this conversation all the time, of communicating our faith in such a way that our kids' faith is their faith, not because they grew up in a pastor's home. Because the Apostle Paul says... When you're resting in your spiritual heritage, you're laying the groundwork for hypocrisy because and you say, How, How's that hypocrisy? We'll see as we go on here. So they rest in their spiritual heritage. The other thing they rest in is their spiritual knowledge. They rest in their spiritual knowledge. They know the Word of God. Notice what he says here. Look with me at verse 18 and rest on the law, and make your boast in God. Verse 18, and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed in the law. And look, verse 19, and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness. See, they rest in their spiritual knowledge. How many of you have worked with somebody who called himself a Christian, and whenever religious topics came up, they could answer it? They had the answers to whatever the religious topic was at work. How many of you have had somebody like that? But then they lived, they acted, laughed, and did everything else that everybody else did. But when it came to spiritual stuff at work, they had the answers. They said they were a Christian. But they cheated the boss just like everybody else cheats the boss. They took, stole stuff from work just like everybody else stole stuff from work. How many of you have met people like that? Just be honest. How many of you have met people like that? I mean, they'll tell you they're a Christian. They'll answer the questions... What are they doing? They're doing what Paul says here. You call yourself a Jew, Christian. You call yourself a Jew. You're resting in this knowledge. You say you're, going to, you're able to teach the blind. See, it's all heading towards that issue of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. In fact, isn't that what the co-workers at work say? When that person isn't around? They say what? He's such a what? Hypocrite. He rested in his heritage. He rested in his knowledge. But he was a hypocrite. In fact, that's what Paul tells us here. Is when we look at verse 21 to 24, they do not live what they believe. They do not live what they believe. Notice what it says here, verse 21 to 24. Here's the hypocrisy of it. You, therefore, who teach another, do not teach yourself. What's he saying here? You who go and you, you spout off your religious stuff at work and you answer those questions, but you're not teaching yourself. Notice what he says here. You who preach that a man should not steal. Don't do that. Don't rob. Don't, don't cheat on the boss. You cheat on the boss, Paul says. He goes on here and says, you who say, don't commit adultery. Isn't it terrible that they're doing that? But you do that. In fact, remember what Jesus said? You do it in your heart. You might as well have done it. You're sitting there in judgment of others. But you yourself do the same thing. He says this. You who abhor idols. You rob temples. You make your boast in the law, but you dishonor God through the breaking of law. And notice what he says here. And you know what? And this is the verse that we should be very much aware of in our lives today if we call on the name of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That's a scary thing to say there, isn't it? You know what? It haunts me and it makes me make make myself very much aware of how I live my life as I go into the community. It haunts me that am I living my life in such a way that maybe the name of God is being blasphemed among those who don't know Jesus in the community? You know, for me especially, you know, I'm a pastor. I've been here now over six years. And the longer you're in a community, the more people know you. And so like when you go to Walmart, you've got to be careful. I, I, every time I go to Walmart, I see somebody I know or somebody knows me. And so you can't get irritated if the clerk takes forever doing whatever. You, 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 you've got to be careful, don't you? There's a lot of takes one time. God's name is blasted. See, these folks, these, these hypocrites were living in such a way, this frozen chosen group, their hypocrisy was such that they boasted in their heritage. Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, ho, ho, I'm a Christian. I go to such and such church. And they were quick to say, oh, you got a question about the Bible? Oh, I know the Bible. But they didn't live what they knew. They didn't live what they knew. And because they didn't live what they knew, people didn't want to have anything to do with their Jesus. In fact, they blasphemed their Jesus. Isn't that an interesting thing? Isn't that an interesting thing? Some of you have been around a lot longer, stomping on this earth a lot longer than I've been alive. You probably have seen a lot more folks who fit this category and you've and you've watched your friends you've watched your relatives get turned off towards God because somebody was a hypocrite they were part of this frozen chosen so paul tells us about their hypocrisy but that's just not that one aspect of their frozen chosen there's another aspect of the frozen chosen and that's this their trust in religious relig- ritual their trust in religious ritual. So I want you to notice, first of all, as we look at verse 25 through 29, notice what he says here. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will his, not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcisions are transgressors of the law for he is not a jew who is one outwardly nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh but he is a jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit not in the letter whose praise is not from men but from god a couple of things i want you to see we've seen their hypocrisy now we're going to see How they trusted in their religious rituals. And so here's what they do. First thing, they trust in their religious activity. For the Jew, he thought he was okay because he got circumcised. That's what Paul is saying here. Paul's saying, you think you're okay because you're circumcised, but yet you keep breaking the law. You know what? The frozen chosen, they think they're okay because they come to church. They give in the offering. They dress the right way. Maybe they got the right haircut. No, their hair is just right. You know, white walls on the side, flat on top. That's the way it used to be in our churches, wasn't it? You know, they got the suit on and they got the right Bible, and they're coming to church, and they think they're okay. And they look down at everybody else. Well, you didn't dress right today. Oh, you're not. You're not carrying the right Bible, Brad. What's that goatee? Isn't that true? Paul says that they trust in their religious activity, that that's okay with them, but the reality is is that they're not okay because they're not doing right and living right. And we've seen it. Come to church, oh, hello, brother so-and-so, and hi, brother so-and-so. Then when they leave, they're talking about brother so-and-so. Isn't that true? That's the frozen chosen. Paul says they need Jesus because they're trusting in their religious activity. Well, I go to church. I give i 'm involved i 'm a, I'm, I'm a leader in the church. It means nothing. And so Paul tells us what that rituals are meaningless without obedience. It doesn 't matter how much you give, it doesn 't matter how you dress, it doesn 't matter how big a Bible you carry. You could carry the real big one, the church that 's on your coffee table. that 's not going to mean anything if you 're not obedient to what he tells you to do. You think anybody 's impressed by that? No one's impressed. Let me tell you, God's sure not impressed. Because what? He looks at the heart. He doesn't look at how people dress. He looks at the heart. doesn't matter what your rituals are. It matters where your heart is before a holy God. Let me tell you, there's a fellow who was a good, upstanding Baptist churchman. You want to know what his name was? Jesse J. Jesse James killed a fellow in a bank robbery and shortly thereafter was baptized at the Kearney Baptist Church. Then he killed another man, a bank cashier, and joined the church choir and taught him singing. He liked Sundays, although Jesse couldn't, didn't always show up for church. On two Sundays in particular, he robbed trains. He had all the ritual down, but we all know that his life wasn't right, was it? See, that's the aspect of the frozen chosen. Not only do they rest in their hypocrisy or my heritage or or I've got the knowledge, but they also rest in their religious rituals. But you know what? They're meaningless. They're completely meaningless if your heart's not right, if you're not obedient to what Jesus said. Can I be honest with you? One day when you stand before Jesus, he's not going to sit there and ask you, well, how did you dress for church on Sunday? That isn't even going to be the issue. That's not even going to enter into his mind. I'm telling you, it doesn't even enter into his mind now. What enters into his mind now is, where's your heart? Where's your heart? What are you trusting? In? But then we also see in verses 1 to 8, not just their hypocrisy, not just their trust in religious rituals, the frozen chosen are marked by one other thing, and that's this. They're marked by their unbelief. I mean, with the rubber meets the road, if you talk to them, the reality is, even though they go to church even though they may carry a Bible, even though they may give, but the reality is is that they don't believe. They don't believe. Oh, they put up a good act, but they don't believe. First of all, look at verses 1-4, to 4, chapter 3. What advantage then has a Jew, or what profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some do not believe Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, for it is written that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. Here's what I want you to see. They were not faithful to what they were entrusted. They were not faithful to what they were entrusted. You know, you and I, we've been entrusted with the message and the word of God. God reveals Himself through these pages to you and I. He reveals Himself in what it is that He wants from our lives. He reveals the message of salvation through these words. And He reveals to us the abundant life that you and I can have if we follow Him through these words. He reveals to us what we need to stay away from so that we don't bring misery and pain in our life. He reveals to us what we must do in order to have the life He wants us to have. He reveals all of this to us. The Jews were given the oracles of God, my friends. You and I have been given the oracles of God. The problem was that they didn't believe them. They didn't believe them. See, the frozen chosen—they have it, they carry it, but once a week they blow the dust off of it before they come to church. They didn't, weren't faithful to what they were entrusted. With. Can I ask you a question? Are you faithful to? What do you mean, George? You know, he tells us so many different things in here. Are you faithful to him? Or you just say, well, you know, Lord, I I trust in you, I believe in you, and I'm okay with that heaven thing, but, you know, in that one area, I don't know that I want to do that. I think I know better. I tell you you don't know better? God knows better. But see, the frozen chosen were not faithful to what they were entrusted The frozen chosen are not faithful to what they're entrusted. Not only that, listen, Keith Miller puts it this way. He says, it never ceases to amaze me that we Christians have developed a kind of selective vision which allows us to be deeply and sincerely involved in worship and church activities, but yet be almost totally pagan in our day in, day out guts of our business lives, family lives, and we never even realize. Next thing I want you to see is this. The frozen chosen, in their unbelief, they do one other thing. Here's how they feel about God. They felt that God would go easy on His people. They felt that God would go easy on them. Notice with me, verses 5 through 8. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say then? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man, certainly not. For then how will God judge the world if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory? Why am I also still judged as a sinner? Why not say, let us do evil that good may come? For as if we are slanderously reported and some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. See, the Frozen Chosen has this concept that, you know, yes, you know, yes, I, I'm doing wrong in this area. And yes, there's this area, you know, and I'm not doing right here. But you know what? I'm forgiven. I hate that bumper sticker that says, you know, Christians aren't always right. They're just forgiven. I just want to take a scraper and scrape it off their bumper. Because that makes a statement that the rest of you know, we shouldn't be making those kind of statements to the world. Because we're making the statement that, you know what, I know I'm not doing right, but I'm just forgiven. And what's he saying here? It comes with that concept that you think that God's going to go easy on you because you go to church or you go, you know, you carry the right Bible and you all do all this stuff and you even pray a prayer at some point. And you think God's going to go easy on you? He says, "No, God's not going to go easy on you. You can't glorify God through your wrongness. You can't." And see, that's the frozen chosen. They're hypocrites. They rest in their religious activities. They don't believe. And Paul says, they're condemned. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. Three things I want you to think about as we close our time here. Three things I want you to think about as to whether or not, because I mean, you could easily say, you know what, I wasn't part of the my way or the highway crowd. <coughs> you know what? I'm not forgetting God in my life and I'm not doing my own thing and I'm sure not going off into that kind of stuff that Paul's talking about there. Or you might be saying, well, you know, I'm not a moralist guy. I'm not the prim and proper crowd where I'm judging other people. Okay, you might not be part of those other two groups, but the question is, are you part of this group? You know, of all the other groups that we've talked about so far, the My Way or the Highway crowd or the Prim and Proper crowd, can I be honest with you? If you go to church on a regular basis, you need to examine your heart because it's very possible that you could be part of the Frozen Chosen. And you need to examine your life as to whether or not you need Jesus. So I want you to consider these three things. Number one, ask yourself a question. Are you resting in your heritage and rituals? Are you resting in your heritage and rituals? Are you resting in the fact that because my grandmama got saved or my daddy got saved, I'm okay? Or because great-great-great-great-grandpa was a holiness preacher? Are you resting in your heritage? Are you resting in your rituals because you dress the right way? You give the right amount? You show up to church every time the doors are open? You're In fact, you're waiting outside for the doors to be open that what you're resting in? Man, if you're resting in that, you're in trouble. Because that doesn't impress God in the least bit. It's not your rituals. It's not your heritage. It's your heart. Next question you need to ask yourself is this. Does your life does your life, really reflect what you believe? Does your life reflect it? Or is it just words? Because I'll be honest with you. It's just words. The guys at work know whether or not you really believe it. Do you hear what I'm saying? The guys you hang out with, they really know whether or not you believe it. In fact, you might be deceiving yourself and everybody else knows the true story. That's possible. You might be so deceived into thinking, I'm okay. But everybody else knows the real scoop because they see how you are on a day-in, day-in basis. So my question is, does your life really reflect what you believe? Listen, you know, I'm not picking on every, because I'm a parent here, and Lori and I, I I don't think there's a night that goes by where we're not talking about this issue, about how we live our lives out in front of our kids. Do we live our lives out so that our kids see a love for Jesus in our life? And sometimes we're beating up on ourselves. Because I'll be honest with you, my first responsibility is three kids at home. Poor oh, kids at home. I forget how can I forget Hudson? Well, <laughs> you can't forget him. Okay. Poor kids at home. You've got to ask yourself that question does your life really reflect what you live? My, my friends, if your life doesn't reflect what you believe, you're part of the frozen chosen. You hear what I said? If your life does not reflect what you believe on a day-in, day-out basis, I'm not talking about how you are when you come in here. I mean, because you can put the right face on, you can put the right smile on, you can even talk the right way. But if you're not like that when you leave here, when the waitress at Pizza Hut forgets to bring you a drink for 30 minutes to an hour, and you're sitting there, you know, where's she? When's she coming by with my drink? and you react, that's when you know whether or not you believe what you say you believe. That's reality. That's when you know whether or not you're part of the frozen chosen. That's when you really realize whether or not you truly need Jesus. See, all this other stuff can deceive us. It can all deceive us. So what do we need to do? Recognize your need for Jesus. Recognize your need for Jesus. Look, every one of us here needs Jesus. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. He's the only one that can bring us salvation. It's not my works. It's not my heritage. It's not because Grandma so-and-so has been praying for me forever. She's praying that you'll get saved. That's what you need to do is get saved. It's not because she's praying that you're okay. Recognize your need for Jesus.
0: Do we see it? Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you.